2: Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX.
3: And Mike Miller is with us. I am going to be hosting the show. I'm not the gardening expert, of course. That is Mike, but he has had a little bit of an accident and we're going to find out more about that now. Mike Miller joins us. Uh, Good morning, Mike.
4: Good morning, Scott, and thanks for hosting my show or your show now. (laughs) It's not my show, I
3: promise. Uh, (laughs) Tell me what happened, why you're not able to come to the studio.
4: Basically, uh, almost two weeks ago now, I was walking along, and uh, there was a bunch of birds up in a tree, and I was trying to figure out what kind of birds because they were making so much noise. So I was looking up, but I wasn't paying attention to the sidewalk, and there was a crack in the sidewalk. And consequently, I tripped on that crack, and this tree was a sweetgum tree. So I tripped, and then I started rolling on sweetgum balls and ran into the trunk of the tree, and I ruptured my elbow, my right elbow.
3: Mm, That's awful.
4: So now I have a splint on it. I have... I have all these doctor appointments and all this crazy stuff, and hopefully I can get this thing taken care of. Because I'm right-handed, and to try to be left-handed is very difficult.
3: Yeah, of course, that's that's <laughs> got to be hard to, to deal with. Uh, one time in college, I, I broke my thumb, and I recall that I had all of my essays were written essays. So for for, and it was right before finals. So, so i had to write with a cast on my hand and it was excruciating so that's not uh, not to compare the two situations but it made me think of that uh, uh only you would describe the sweet gumballs on the sidewalk <laughs> causing the problem <laughs> of course you would
4: it was it was just stupid my wife thinks i was just crazy for not paying a better attention to the sidewalk but uh you know, the sweet gum tree actually caused a crack in the sidewalk, so the sweet gum tree must have not liked me. And they wanted me to trip, to fall, and to break my elbow.
3: Well, we are going to still use your knowledge today, even though you are remote, not in the studio. And we are taking calls at 314-436-7900, and we have one to start out, and that is Pat. Good morning, Pat.
5: Good morning, Mike. I'm sorry to hear about your little accident. Things happen. You aren't kidding. (laughs) So I've got a couple of questions. I plan to have some foundation work done, and I'm going to have to move my can of bulbs and my rhubarb. So my question is, I don't know how long they will be out of their regular place where I have them. So... When, can I, when would be the best time to dig them up? Because I don't have a date the foundation work yet. And then can I put them in pots or what? And then how deep? And when would I be able to put them back in the ground, like after the ground settled and everything?
4: Well, basically, you can put them in pots. I would go to your favorite garden center. And I don't know how large these particular plants are, but get a fairly large, you know, 8 to 10-inch black plastic nursery pot. Get some potting mix for starting plant material, and then just put the, you know, dig the plants up. You can do it as soon as you possibly can or want. Just don't do it when the ground is really wet. And then uh, stick those pots in the ground someplace, leaving about the top two inches of the uh, top of the pot above the surrounding ground. And then they can stay there for a considerable amount of time.
5: Okay. Do you think I'll get any rhubarb? harvest with having to dig them up and move
4: them historically have you gotten rhubarb yes okay so you may get some but it may just disrupt the you know the the actual growth so you may not be the stalks or whatever of the rhubarb may not be let's say robust enough to actually worry about harvesting Probably what I would do is not harvest them, just leave them alone. That would mean the leaves on the end of the stalks would uh, help regenerate some new growth as far as the root system goes, and then the root system could be active, more active when you replant them.
6: Okay,
5: so since we're in the last week of February, um, but to move them sometime in March before it gets super hot, boring this next week when it's supposed to get hot Does
4: that what yeah, you yeah. thinking I, the the air temperature day in day out is fluctuating as you heard scott say um, right so i would not worry too much about the temperature it's ground temperature that's more important than air temperatures and the ground temperature is not going to fluctuate that much just because the air temperature goes from Let's say mid seventies down to forty, down up to sixty something or whatever it happens to be.
5: Right. Well that that's what's my concern. Like, is is it better to dig them sooner rather than later in, you know, a couple months or something? No, I would
4: say ASAP. Sooner the better. Okay.
5: Okay. That sounds good. Well, thank you very much, and I hope you um get well real quick. <laughs>
4: Me too. This is really boring. <laughs> I'm
5: sure.
3: Thank you, Pat, for the call. Let's go to Ann in Creve Corps. Good morning, Ann.
7: Hi, Mike. Sorry for um, your accident, but my big question was, did you ever find out what kind of birds they were?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I think they were sparrows, but I'm not sure because I was looking and they were bouncing around so fast I couldn't, you know, and they were up higher in the tree. But the sparrows seem to be the only ones that get into groups of that number. I mean, it was – the the sound was really it was like an orchestra up there and uh, that was just you know insane on my part to be disrupted or <laughs> screwed up like that
6: okay well that was only my that was my only burning question so thank you so much <laughs> and have a good rest
8: of your day
6: <laughs>
4: thank yeah, you Yeah, <laughs> it was just so many of them in one place and normally they hang out a tendency to hang out and let's say golden-groove bamboo or in uh, evergreen trees and things like that. Just to hear that many in a deciduous tree, a sweet-gum ball tree, that uh, that's what kind of caught me by surprise.
6: Well, I guess you'll be getting a birding book for Christmas this year.
3: (laughs) (laughs) All right, thank you. Well,
4: thanks for calling.
3: Thanks for calling, Ann. Appreciate it. Uh, Pat reminded me of uh, rhubarb. I'm thinking of rhubarb pie right now, Mike. Oh, man, I love rhubarb. That sounds really good this morning. All right, we're taking your calls with Mike Miller. I'm Scott Jagow. He's the expert, though. Ask away. We have our hotline open at 314-436-7900. Stay tuned to the KMOX Garden Hotline on the Voice of St. Louis. It is 815.
2: All the news and all that matters to you. The voice of St. Louis, KMOX.
3: Back on the KMOX Garden Hotline, I'm Scott Jagow, along with Mike Miller, as always, but Mike is recovering from an arm injury and cannot be in the studio so we have him remotely to answer your questions but he's still here to answer them and the hotline is 314-436-7900 and let's go to Dave in Illinois. Good morning, Dave.
9: Good morning. Um I have a couple Hi, of questions for Hi, how I'm sorry to hear about your elbow.
4: Yeah, that's really a I'm, a, You know, I'm 74, and I've never had a broken bone in my life until, until now. It's uh, not
6: fun.
9: Yeah. Got a couple of questions about transplanting trees. I have uh, a couple volunteer walnut trees that were growing in the brush behind the house. One of them's about 12-foot tall with about a 2-inch diameter trunk, and the other one's about 6-foot uh, tall with about an inch diameter trunk. And I want to move them out into the yard. But I was, heard something about the cicadas that are coming this summer, supposedly, and it, I heard somebody say that it's not a good idea to move them this time of year with the cicadas coming because I guess they lay their eggs in them and it can stress them.
4: Well, that, the, cicadas can cause damage to lots of different kinds of trees. So you're probably better off just to, because we don't know if this cicada swarm is going to be something like, you know, out of history or what it's going to be like. So I would say what you can do is just go out and about uh, halfway out between the trunk and the extension of the branches, just do a circular cut all the way around with a spade and just drive the spade into the ground. What you're doing is you're just kind of making the root system more compact or moving them, and then you would be moving them later on as we go into winter time, so in the mid to late fall, movement at that time.
9: Okay, great. And I've always heard that you're supposed to move trees in a month that end in R. Is that correct?
4: <laughs> well, you can you can do it that way. I just like to do more or less, yeah, weather wise. So that would be September, October, and November, and December. So that's in the fall. That's when you want to move the tree.
9: Great. Thank you very much.
4: Sure. My pleasure.
3: Thank you, Dave. Let's continue with the phone calls. 314-436-7900. Questions for Mike Miller. Julie in St. Charles. Good morning, Julie.
7: Good morning. Uh, Mike, I have a question about a house plant of mine. Uh, I have a mother-in-law tongue, and I know anytime I've ever seen them, they grow very uh, tight and upright. And mine is is not doing that. It's just kind of just hanging out all over the place. And I just didn't know if there was something that I could do to to train it to get that more, you know, tight, upright um, look.
4: Well, even though they're considered a, a house plant, tropical, they can handle a low light circumstance, what kind of light is this particular
7: plant getting as far as sunlight? Well, um, it's, it's, it's next to a, a sliding glass door, but there's a porch, you know, over the patio. So it's not getting direct sunlight. It's getting indirect light. Okay. And how long have you had this plant? Um, maybe
4: a year and a half. Oh, so it's fairly young. So it sounds like to me you may be overwatering. I don't know how much watering, but they take very little water. Mm -hmm. So if if you're watering routinely, like every week or every two weeks, you could be doing some damage to the root system, and that's what's causing, you know, the problem. And to be honest with you, once they start going downhill, they don't uh, recover very well. What you can do, though, is go ahead and just cut all the leaves off and just put it in a brighter location and don't water it for a couple months and see what happens. See if you start to see some new growth coming. No fertilizing, oh. nothing.
7: Okay, my husband was thinking maybe it was the size of the pot, that maybe we needed a deeper pot or something. The the pot has kind of a wide mouth to it, and he thought maybe that might affect it. But, but you think, no, you think it's overwatering and maybe not enough sun?
4: Right, exactly. Like I said, even though they're low-light circumstances, this particular one probably wasn't in great health when you bought it, even though it may have looked in good health when you got it. It had probably been stressed out. And then moving into the circumstance of your home just kind of sent it downhill.
7: Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Hope you heal quick.
4: Sure. <laughs> well, thank you. Really appreciate
7: it. Thanks for the call, Julie.
3: Let's move along to our next caller and question, and that is Nancy in St. Louis.
6: Good morning, Nancy. Hi, Mike. First of all, I hope you feel better soon. I know all about those sweet gumballs, especially when I try to cut my grass. But my question is, <laughs> I've turned my ankle many a time on those things. Um, I received a potted tulip plant for Valentine's Day. And I don't know. It said on the tag that it was a hybrid, and now it's bloomed and it looks so pretty. But it's starting to lose all its petals. So what can I do with it now?
5: Uh,
4: basically, even though it's a hybrid and everything else, it's not going to transition very good into the outdoors. So it's it was grown as a hybrid, and what it is is kind of a, a house plant for just. Getting the blooms in that time of year when they do bloom, when we're so desperate for any kind of color. But, you know, to cut the flowers off and the foliage will still probably look good, but to try to move it outdoors is not going to probably work. You can give it a try, but if you're going to try to move it outside, it's got to be in a really well-drained soil circumstance and in a situation where there's bright sun. But uh, the chances of it coming back next year out in your landscape someplace and blooming again is going to be minimal at best.
6: Oh, wow, because I have clay soil, too, which is really oh. hard to grow anything in. Um, right. But if I leave it as a house plant, do you think that it's going to bloom again next spring?
4: No. No. If you leave it inside, no, it's not going to. It's kind of just a one-year one. You know, one one chance shot, and then that's it.
6: Oh, so it's kind of a done deal right now then. Right. Mm-hmm. So you
4: enjoy the color and everything else, but uh, there's not going to be much beyond this regardless of what you know, what approach you take.
6: Okay. So if I want tulips outside, um, I have to look for a different tulip then that, that likes the outside, not a potted.
4: Yeah, you need to buy them as bulbs and plant them in the fall. Don't buy them as growing plants at all, any place. Oh. And you need to go to stainless composting and get some topsoil compost blend and blend it in with your clay soil and br- bring in enough that you can elevate the, your existing ground a couple inches and then you know put the tulip bulbs about oh, let's say three inches or so deep into the soil. Okay. After it's been improved.
6: All right. Okay. Well. At least I got to enjoy it for 10 days. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. We'll get better soon. Okay. Well, thank you.
3: Thanks for the call, Nancy. We appreciate it. This is the KMWX Garden Hotline. Mike Miller is hosting from home because he's dealing with a broken arm. Uh, and I'm Scott J. Gow. We are going to get to more of your calls in just a moment. Anne-Marie and Susie, hang on. We'll be right with you. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
1: Today, it's Cardinals spring training baseball play and St. Tate to the field for the first time to face the Marlins. First pitch, 12.05, and you can hear the game here on your home for Cardinals baseball, KMOX.
3: Back on the KMOX Garden Hotline, I'm Scott Jagal, facilitating the program today because Mike Miller is at home, but he is joining us by phone. He's dealing with some injuries from a fall, and so we are making sure he can still answer your questions at 314 436 7900. And now we go to Anne Marie in St. Louis. Good morning, Anne Marie.
10: Good morning. Boo hoo on your boo boo, Mike. <laughs> I have a few very quick questions, and thank you. Can you use flower seeds that are packaged for the previous year? You can,
4: but the germination rate may be less than what you anticipate. So even if they're being kept dry in the dark and everything else, there's still going to be a, a chance that they're just going to biodegrade on their own. So... You still will probably get, you know, some flowers, but you may not get the the percentage or the number that you would anticipate.
10: Okay. Uh, I have a large tulip area, and they're coming up, and I see some empty spaces. Is it still too late to plant hyacinth bulbs? Uh, I don't even know if you can find any
4: hyacinth bulbs, to be honest with you.
10: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But if I yeah, did...
4: Yeah, the availability, and even if you could find them, I'd be a little bit suspicious of them because they've been sitting in the garden centers since uh, probably maybe August, early September, and that's not a good sign.
10: Okay. So when we see bulbs in stores and they say plant for spring, your answer is the same on those? Right,
4: planting okay. for spring means you're planting in the fall, so they'll bloom in the spring.
10: Okay. Um, now, the other uh, quick question is has to do with house plants. I have house plants hanging on the top part of my windows, and I get this white. Is it a fungus that that white mildewy type?
11: Well, oh, it
4: should it's you know I guess it could be is it little spots or is it like a dust?
10: It's like a dust, and I neem it, and i uh, I change the soil um, sometimes I go down just a few inches or I'll change the whole pot. This seems to be a reoccurring problem, and I bleach the pots, but the plants do hang some of them in the windows, only about. Three or four feet apart So um, I've even just Thrown the plant out Put a new plant in And it seems that they come back So I'm not sure If it's just where I'm buying my plants uh, what, What's the problem? What can I do?
4: My guess is that you're overwatering.
10: Oh yeah. And that's
4: what's creating the environment for the the fungus or mold or whatever, powdery mildew or whatever it happens to be that's growing on the foliage. So changing the pots out and doing all this other stuff is not going to make a bit of difference because you're still probably continuing to water the same way that you had the previous pots.
10: Okay. Now, these are very large pots, and sometimes when I put a new plant in, the question is, I can feed from the bottom, and I can also, of course, water from the top. What's recommended? Just because I probably am overwatering, I'm putting a little in at the top as well as the bottom.
4: I think if you just you know water the top, especially during the during the winter time when the days are so short, the growth you know growth periods are shortened by the fact that there's less sunlight and everything else that you know watering is really at a minimal so if you can look down into the pot don't do any watering at all until you start to see this potting mix shrink away from the inside of the pot and then water it and just water it lightly you're better off to water lightly during the wintertime than you know than take a chance by let's say overwatering because if you're watering from the top and bottom both it's more than likely a overwatering circumstance.
10: Yep, I, that's that's my problem. Um, and, and you, you have recommended. With, po- oh,
4: you said these were large pots. What do you mean by large?
10: Um, I'm looking at one now. It's probably ten inches in diameter. Yeah.
4: So probably that's the, the classic size that the uh, hanging, you know, hanging plants come in. So. That's the normal size, but, uh, again, if you can take them down, just take them down so you can look down inside and see if the potting mix and make sure that if you're replanting that you replant with potting mix and not potting soil because potting soil has a tendency to retain moisture more than potting mix
10: does. No, I always use the, uh, the mix.
4: Okay, good.
10: And in the past, you have said this is now fertilizing, uh, not through winter. And when we start up, it's half of the instructions uh, for the amount. And when do we start fertilizing again?
4: Okay. Basically, winter is going to be over in mid-March. You can start fertilizing at that time.
10: Okay. And that's about the same time we could do the preeminent on the lawn.
4: Right, the pre-emergent. Yeah. Right, exactly. So that's when you're going to find the the Forsythia is going to be blooming and that's when you put the pre-emergent down for the warm season annual weeds.
10: Great. Thank you, Mike. Be well. Yes, thank you.
3: Thanks for your call, Anne Marie. Let's continue with the phone calls for Mike Miller who is answering your questions from home. Let's go to Susie. Susie, thanks for being patient. You are on KMOX.
11: Hi, Mike. I'm sorry to hear about your injury, but the good news is it will heal with patience. Right. (laughs) Anyway, my question is, I have a pressed uh, cedar or juniper, I don't know what you call them, but it's taller than my house, and it has a lot of dead needles and so I've just left them underneath of it for like mulch. But now the needles are about five to six inches deep. And I wondered if I should not leave them that deep. It's probably or if not I should doing them it. out.
4: <laughs> no, it's probably not doing any harm because this sounds like a very old, mature variety. And if it was out in nature on its own, it would be having that amount and these are probably all interior needles now because when they were actually growing and active they were green and everything else but then as the branches grow then the interior gets no sun so then it starts dropping the needles but i wouldn't worry about it
11: okay okay thank you so very much and be well soon sure thank you
3: thanks for your call susie now we turn to mary in fenton mary your question for mike miller
12: hi mike sorry about your arm and i hope you feel better soon uh i have a question i'm sorry i have a question about my zoysia grass we've lived here in this south city home since 96 always had a great long air aerated it every few years and we didn't feed just the front lawn mostly this is the first year last year we've ever had crabgrass, and I did some pre-emergent in the fall. I kind of guesstimated when to put it down. I was wondering, with the warm weather coming up, should I do it this weekend or should I hold off a little longer? I'm seeing things bud and grow out of the ground prematurely. Is right. it
4: too soon? I would say it's a little bit premature to be putting a pre-emergent down. So okay. just, you know, the forsythia is the, the yellow shrub that blooms, you know, that's throughout the entire region. So just wait until you see it in your neighborhood, hopefully, uh, forsythia and bloom, then put the pre-emergent down at that time. It's hard to I'm put a sure. calendar date on it because our weather is so screwy.
12: Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. I guess I'll look up online and see what a, what is it? What am I looking for? A forsythia? Forsythia, yeah. Or
4: F-O-R-S-Y-T-H-I-A.
12: Okay, great. Thank you so much. God bless you and heal quickly.
4: Well, thank you. Yeah, as I sit here at at home and uh, I'm sitting in our dining area and we have windows that look to the north and we have windows that look to the east. And I have a, we both, Tracy and I both have indoor thermometers just to kind of watch the temperatures inside. And the sun is coming in the east window right now. And the temperature in the window right where I'm sitting is almost, <laughs> seems unbelievable, 88 degrees. Now, this is in the sun inside, but uh, it's just kind of amazing how uh, temperatures can rise due to sunlight.
3: Yeah, that's pretty warm there, Mike, 88 degrees. <laughs> Good grief. Yeah. Are you comfortable? Uh, I'm sweating. We still have another hour and 15 minutes of questions to get through. Oh, no. (laughs) Make sure that you're comfortable. We are going to get to your calls. Stay on the line if you have called in. We will be back in just a moment. This is the KMOX Garden Hotline.
2: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX.
3: That's right. I'm Scott Jagel. I am connecting you with Mike Miller, who is at home recovering from a broken arm and basking in the glow of the sun in the, his room, answering your questions at 314-436-7900. Let's go to Joan in Ladue. Joan, thanks for your patience. You're up.
11: Hi, Mike. Sorry about your fall. Yeah. Um, my, my question is, when can I start desatching my lawn?
4: Do you have a cool season lawn or a, a zoysia?
11: In the back, I have a In the front, I have who knows what it is. It was fescue, <laughs> but <laughs> well, uh, I don't know what it is anymore. So.
4: Yeah. With the zoysia, you have to wait till it starts greening up. So don't do it while it's still brown because you're going to be exposing crowns. So in other words, where the new growth begins at ground level and where the roots grow downward, and if you expose that and we get one of those really weird cold snaps, it could really do some major damage to your zoisa. So wait on that. With the cool season lawn, you could really do it anytime. You know, you don't want to necessarily do it in, you know, in February, but any time in March should be fine.
11: Okay. Thank you. And heal quickly. Yes, <laughs> I hope.
3: Thanks for the call, Joan. Let's go to John in Kirkwood. Good morning, John.
13: Uh, yeah, uh, this is John. Uh, Mike, I'm sorry to hear about your injury. I actually
9: live in Ellisville. cell phone comes uh, up, Kirkwood Bayland, out your old neck of the woods. I uh, just wondered, what's the earliest date I could plant uh,
4: grass seed? Um, you're probably looking, you want to make sure that the ground is warm. Ideally, you would have a, a soil temperature thermometer, but uh, if you don't have that, kind of... Uh, just in general, you're looking at probably late April, early May would be the soonest I would do it.
13: Okay. It's uh, much later than I would have thought. So right. I hope you get If you do stories. it any
4: sooner, you just don't know. Like I said, our weather, and as you know, living here, our weather is so screwy, it could warm up, it could cause the seed to germinate, and then we could have a cold snap, and the grass and the phrase, seed yeah. that has germinated is not... You know, acclimated enough to the weather that it could just be killed due to the coldness.
13: I got you. Okay, well, thanks a lot. Uh, Get better soon.
4: Thank you very much.
3: Thanks for the call, John. Good question. Let's move along to Pat in St. Louis. Pat, what's your question?
12: Good morning. GWS, get well soon. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I, I have a aloe vera plant, and it's doing wonderful now that I got it in the right place. And uh, it's really growing uh, exponentially, and I probably need to uh, repot it. So uh, should I use the potting mix, or should I use uh, some kind of mix for, like, a, a desert plant, or what do I do?
4: Yeah, you should use uh, a potting mix for cactus and succulents and things like that.
12: Got it. It's got really it. a really
4: well-drained one, and that works best for aloe vera, even though I mean, aloe vera doesn't really have, say, the thorns that we think of with cactus.
12: Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, just uh, take it out of one. How, how big should the difference be between, between the size of the pots?
4: Well, you, probably starting off since you're, I don't know how many stalks that you have coming out, but you're going to cut like a, a chunk that's going to have three or four leaves,
14: you know, mm-hmm. stick,
4: and let that dry for a couple days, if not two weeks or so, before mm-hmm. you stick it into the new potting mix. And then you're oh, probably going to okay. have to support it with some kind of, let's say, match stick or something along that line. Keep yeah. It vertical. Okay. But you know, the size of the pot shouldn't probably be any bigger than maybe four inches would be the biggest that I would think about trying to grow. You know, root one in.
12: Okay. All right, Mike. Thank you. Have a good day. Get well soon.
4: Sure. You do the very same thing. And one comment too, as you know, spring is here. As I look out our windows, we have some uh, yellow crocus blooming out uh, in our. Front yard, which faces the north, and you're going to start to see lots of different bulbs starting to erupt. Everything from snowdrops to hyacinths to tulips to daffodils to blah, blah, blah. This is the time of year, as soon as the foliage starts showing, that you should be doing some fertilizing, and that's going to be to the benefit of the longevity factor of your bulbs. Now, the bulbs of days of old were a little bit different than the ones of today. So we used to see or we can see in older neighborhoods daffodils that have been planted beside houses that are really, really old. With the daffodils of this era, you're probably looking at maybe six or seven years at the most, with tulips, three or four years. Now, with the smaller bulbs like the uh, grape hyacinths, the, the crocus, the snowdrops and things like that they have a longer lifetime but still they all need to be fertilized or to the advantage of them to be fertilized.
3: Thanks Matt. So be sure. Uh, thanks Mike, oh, sorry for that information. Um we are going to continue taking your calls. We have to go to a break however, so stay tuned. Thanks for your patience. The number is 314-436-7900. I'm Scott Jagow, along with Mike Miller, who is at home recovering from a broken arm. But he is answering your questions this morning, and we still have another hour to go on the KMOX Garden Hotline. Stay tuned.
2: Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX.
3: And Mike Miller is with us. He is at home answering your questions at 314-436-7900. He's dealing with a broken arm. So we're doing the best we can this morning. And we're going to continue now with your phone calls. Tara, you are on KMOX with Mike Miller.
8: Oh, hello. Blessings for a speedy recovery. I am... Are you there? Yes. Okay. So I am... uh struggling for the entire time I've lived in this house with a very long driveway surrounded by trees on both sides. And the undergrowth is always, no matter what I do to clean it, it just comes back all weedy. So I was planning on maybe putting down some monkey grass to give it a ground cover that it's good in the shade, but I don't know how to go about starting that. Can I do it from seed or do I have to plant these in containers and transplant them later? And uh, now that I'm all hip on this idea, I've read it's just going to bring me a lot of mosquitoes. <laughs>
4: well, I don't know about the mosquito thing. But what you want to do is you're going to have to buy it in containers that cannot be grown from seed. And this is a type of liriope, L-I-R-I-O-P-E, and you want to get the spicata, S-P-I-C-A-T-A spicative variety and it's going to take okay. it a long time to spread to be honest with you so you know you're probably not going to want to plant anything closer than like five or six feet to the trunk of the tree
8: okay can I put some like uh, bulbs underneath there sporadically or in clusters you can but
4: uh, I would say don't spend a whole lot of time and energy on that, so how let me ask you one question. How large are these trees?
8: Oh gosh, I have a sycamore. I have a walnut tree there there's um there's just a variety of trees that go along okay. this driveway, and there's some big ones. There's a great big uh, shimmering oak tree at the foot. It's more more towards the, the top of the driveway I'm concerned about though, right.
4: So, again, Where if area, you get the spicata, you can get the spicata variety of liriope. You can get it in flats at garden centers. The flats have, like, 36 plants that are in two-and-a-quarter-inch cell packs. And
8: okay. I would I'm thinking I'm going to need hundreds, that. though. <laughs> I wish yes. I could do it from seed. Is there a better ground cover that would work for a shady area? For no, a large honest,
4: area, I mean, it's everything like eighty is foot long driveway. Because the, tree. the trees, root systems, just don't like you know anybody as neighbors.
8: I wish I wish my weeds were considered pretty, but they're not. They're <laughs> like two feet tall.
4: Well, just put on pink colored, rose colored glasses or something, and just forget it. <laughs> I'd be
8: happy with a pretty weed. You know, that's a ground cover. Okay well thank you.
4: Yeah I'm sorry but there's really nothing that's going to do really well. When I worked at the Botanical Garden I worked in the English Woodland Garden for four of the five years and English Woodland Garden that particular location was picked because of all the mature trees that were in there and it was just I was there the second year was after it started and it was extremely difficult to get anything. After four years Certain things were, you know, able to acclimate and start to create some, you know, nice environment. But uh, for the most part, there's, I mean, you can experiment around with a couple different things, uh, but it's going to be difficult at best. Let's put it that way.
8: Wooded area. It's more like a string of trees right along the drive. On the other side of the trees, it's sunny. Right. It's just, I have a lot of shade in my yard, a whole lot of shade, and there's nothing much I can do with it.
4: No, and to be honest with you, the shade is important, but it's the tree roots that are the main limiting factor. So the feeder Mm -hmm. roots of trees, regardless of what type they are or how big they are, are within the top five to seven to nine inches of the soil. And that's where the ground covers basically send to the root systems. So when a a tree root system, feeder root, is there, then a newly installed plant goes, yikes, and goes, Can I
8: add topsoil and build up and plant? Well,
4: to be able to do that, you're going to have to mix it in. I would say try it in a small area, maybe a 10 by 10 area, and see what you think. I wouldn't just do topsoil. I would do a topsoil compost mix. And mix it in with the existing soil. Don't just lay it on top. So you're looking at, you know, a major project.
8: Isn't everything. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. Thanks, Tara, Thank for you. your call. We appreciate it. Uh, Frank has been waiting patiently to ask a question of Mike Miller. You're up, Frank.
4: Hey, Mike.
13: Are you there? Hey.
4: Yes. Hey, uh,
13: you know, for someone like me that really doesn't know what a forsythia is supposed to look like you kind of covered that by saying you know a good way if you don't know is to get a soil thermometer is that kind of like the same thermometer you would put in a turkey and if so where would I get one of those because I thought I heard you say one time if it if the ground soil reaches 55 degrees that's probably going to coincide with if you don't know what a forsythia is or can't find one uh it's probably going to be similar as is to the pre-emergent uh time frame
4: right i would say go to your favorite garden center maybe not the year-round uh box you know (laughs) box big box places but a a year-round garden center they should have the soil thermometer To use, uh, you know, a thermometer that would be used for cooking or something like that, I'm not exactly sure if it's going to be effective as far as being able to take the temperature. But a soil thermometer from a garden center is what you're going to need. And uh, cost-wise, I think they're less than $20. Oh, okay,
13: great, great. Hey, Anna, well, thanks, Mike. That kind of solved that problem for me. I do want to mention uh, when I was in high school, I, I had my arm in a sling. And my biggest problem was putting my pants on. I'd pull one side up,
5: <laughs> try to
13: reach over, and the other side fell down. And that was, a, that was an interesting uh, uh, process I had to go through. And I, I just wondered if, you know, maybe you solved that problem? No.
6: <laughs>
4: my wife helps me.
13: Oh, uh, well, I was in high school. I I didn't even have a girlfriend, so I was in trouble.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is okay. really, uh, you know, just a total crazy nightmare.
3: That is not fun, Mike. Thanks for the call, Uh, Frank. We appreciate the questions. We are lined up with callers here. We're going to get to them as soon as possible. Stay tuned. It's the KMOX Garden Hotline on the voice of St. Louis.
12: Work or play? KMOX is right there with you. We go where you go.
3: Back on the KMOX Garden Hotline. Good morning. I'm Scott Jagel. And we also have Mike Miller coming to us from home, answering your questions this morning. He's dealing with a broken arm. I'm facilitating. And our number is 314-436-7900. I believe our next caller is Bill in the town of Winfield out St. Peter's Way. Are you there, Bill?
15: Is it me? Yep, it is you. Oh, okay. I'm not from Winfield, oh, so uh, I'm a confused. <laughs> uh, that's what it says on
3: the uh, caller ID. <laughs> Hi,
15: Mike. Mike, I've Hi, I moved, a, I moved a moved uh, a a big shrub called a nine bark, which is related to viburnum, I think. Right, and uh, it had to be moved regardless. So I figure, what the heck, I planted it, replanted it, and I was wondering, would trimming it be a good idea, or is that just stress it out more?
4: I would say don't trim at least for the first year because the root oh. system, you know, sends nutrients and moisture up to the leaves. And then the leaves use sunlight to generate energy to help the thing get acclimated. So wait for at least one year or so oh. before you do any pruning because when you prune, you're reducing the amount of leaves. Then consequently, you're reducing the ability of the shrub to get acclimated to the new location.
15: Okay. Yeah, the the leaf buds haven't started swelling up yet, so I figured it was okay time. Uh, Hey, uh, regarding the forsythia timing thing, is that also the time to reseed some grass seed?
4: It's a little bit early to do that. Uh, I had a caller in the last hour, and it's because the seed may go ahead and germinate because we get these warm spells, and it's the soil temperature that's going to create the Germination of the seed, but then if we get a cold snap right after that, newly germinated seed can be killed by, you know, just one night of very cold air. As it versus the ground temperature may still be warm, but the cold air can actually kill newly germinated seeds. So I would say wait for a little while.
15: Okay. Okay.
4: Great. Thanks. Sure. My pleasure.
3: Thanks for your call, Bill. Let's go next to Jan in St. Charles. You're on Wex.
12: Good morning, Mike. I have Good morning. A question. Good mor- I have a question regarding my uh, lawn cleanup. My lawn service wants to do a spring cleanup, um, cutting back ornamentals and roses and um, trimming bushes. Is, is it too early to do that? Well, if, it's, if they're spring flowering shrubs,
4: then by, if you prune them this time of year, you're basically cutting off any kind of flowers that you're going to get this particular year. So if it if they're evergreens or they're ones that bloom later on, like the roses, then you should be okay with it.
12: Okay. I, that's what I wanted to know. I thought it was early to do that.
4: Right. Because, I okay. mean, it's just going to, you know, aesthetically it could really cause you, you know, grief from the standpoint of not getting the flowers that you normally, you know, you normally want and why you planted those particular particular shrubs in the first place.
12: Well, I have a rose of Sharon. Would that be something they shouldn't prune yet?
4: No, they can prune that because that's a summer bloomer. So that doesn't start producing any kind of flower buds until probably May or so, and then those are going to come out in the summer.
12: Okay, so it's all right for them to clean up my yard and get rid of my gumballs and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, definitely stuff like that.
16: <laughs> there's thousands of them.
4: <laughs> right. Okay, thank you very much. Feel better? Sure, soon. my pleasure.
3: All right, thanks for your call, Jan. Our next question for Mike Miller comes from Jason in Clayton. Good morning.
9: Hey, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Scott, thanks for uh, pinch hitting. Got a yeah. little celebrity here helping out, Mike. <laughs> I am having some moth problems, guys, and uh, one was just taunting me in the bathroom here, a brown one, and I've seen a lot of white ones in in my pine trees. So, you know, they're after the sweaters and the suits. Mike, how do I get rid of these, the moth problems? (laughs) Basically, they're not really
4: problematic. You know, moths of this time of year don't create, you know, when they lay the eggs, the larvae, the caterpillars – really don't do that much damage. Aesthetically, they may be causing you problems, but for the most part, there's not worth going after because there's they're, I mean, very sparse, to be honest. Even though you're seeing them, uh, they're not going to do anything that's going to,
9: you're going to look out and say, oh my goodness. I've got holes in suit sleeves that would say otherwise. <laughs> well, you can go
4: ahead, but most, insecticides have to come in contact with whatever you're trying to kill so I mean there are systemic type insecticides which you would be putting on the ground it would be absorbed up through the root system and then if anything would feed on the you know on the foliage of the plant then it would kill them but for the majority of the circumstances the insecticides have to come in direct contact with the moth or with whatever you're trying to kill, and if it doesn't, to spray, and a moth can lay uh, land on that insecticide two or three days later, and it's not going to have an impact.
9: Okay. All right. Well, it's not always the news that you want, but I appreciate it, Mike. Well, thank you. Thanks, Scott. Yep. Thanks
3: for the call, Jason. We appreciate it. The number is three one four four three six seventy nine hundred. Mike Miller taking your gardening questions as always, and we are going to go next to another Mike, Mike in Creve Coeur. Mike, your question?
5: Hi, Mike. Yes, hello. Yeah,
15: go ahead, Mike. I'm um, actually Mike in Old Fallon, Missouri, but that's okay. Oh, I had a quick question. I the. Uh, a in the fall, I poked the holes in the yard, aerated, and overseed. Are you still there, Mike?
4: Yes. So that's you want to do that in the fall for a cool season lawn, correct?
15: Yes, sir. I did that. And now in the, in the spring, I'm getting ready to purchase the crabgrass preventer. Did but I don't want to harm.
4: Down? Did you put seed did. down?
15: In the fall, I did.
4: Yeah. It's, has it germinated?
15: Mm, well, the are still pretty brown.
4: Yeah. So I would say don't put any kind of pre emergent or anything at all down if you've recently spread any kind of seed whatsoever.
15: I was concerned about that. I didn't want to hurt what I did in the fall. Right. So, I mean, I put, uh, the pre-emergence will kill
4: any kind of seed that germinates, weed seeds, grass seeds, anything at all, perennial seeds. So it doesn't really care. It kills chemically by when the seed, you know, actually comes out of the hull, then it kills it right at that point.
15: Okay. How about mid-March? Do you suggest a fertilizer of some type? or?
4: Yeah, you know, a seed starter type fertilizer.
15: Seed starter type right. in the spring.
4: Okay. Well, thank you very much, Mike. I enjoy sure, my your pleasure.
15: Okay. Have a great day.
3: All right. Thank you. You have a good day as well. We are going to continue with your phone calls. I'm Scott Jago, and Mike Miller is at home recovering from a broken arm, but he's still here to answer your gardening questions. 314-436-7900. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Matt Foley. I'm in Jupiter, Florida, the spring training home of the Cardinals, and you can hear my daily spring training reports, mornings, and afternoons direct from the team complex on the home of the Cardinals
13: KMOX.
3: Let's get right back to the phone calls for Mike Miller on the KMOX Garden Hotline. Ken has been waiting patiently, and now it's your turn to ask a question, Ken.
13: Yeah, hi, Mike. I How if are you? I see if you're 74 years old, you're the same age as George Thorogood. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to know what would be a good uh, fertilizer to use this time of year that uh, doesn't have the pre-emergent.
4: Well, there's plenty of... Are we talking about lawn? Are we talking about...
17: Uh, yeah, lawn. You
4: know, for your lawn? It's a little yeah. bit early. I would wait for another couple of weeks, but just get a, you know, get just a, well, ideally what you would do is get a soil test done and get the soil and use that soil test to kind of indicate which nutrients that you have a surplus of and which ones that you're lacking and then get the fertilizer according to that. Because we have found over the years people that have used consistently the same type of fertilizer would say, Fertilizer bags a lot of times have three numbers. The last two numbers are phosphorus and potassium. When those numbers get high because they stay in the soil for a really long time, then it becomes detrimental to the lawn that you're trying to grow. So ideally, if you don't you don't want to get a soil test done or something like that, I would say probably look at something like a 10-5-5 would be you know, something to consider. All right. Great. Thank you. Sure. But ideally, get a soil test done, you know, as soon as you possibly can. University of Missouri, University of Illinois, Extension Services both do the soil testing. That way you're not guessing on, you know, what's really needed. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. All
13: right.
3: All right, thank you for the call. The number is 314-436-7900. And our next caller in question is Donna. Good morning, Donna.
14: Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Mike. Um, I'm calling to let you know, uh, late last fall, you told me to plant my bare root dogwood in a pot and put it in the ground. And just to let you know, it survived the winter. It looks like it's starting to show some uh, life. Um but my question to you is, um, I tested the, the soil for the pH acidity. Now, this is just soil out of my backyard. And I wanted to know, um, when do I add any acidifier to this little plant? It's only about two feet tall. Um, can you give me some recommendation on that one?
4: Well, what was the pH that you, from the test that you took?
14: It was not acidic hardly looking at all. My um, my uh, meter didn't show much acidity at all, so it kind of concerns me um, if I should add something to it.
4: Yeah, I'll probably think about using maybe iron sulfate.
14: Iron sulfate? Okay. Right. How much would and I that, put? This is, go ahead.
4: Yeah, the, the sulfur or sulfate will change the pH. Then it'll make it so the iron that's in there, too, will be absorbed by the plant material.
14: Okay. And how much should I put? I, I, you know, this is a little tree, so right. I'm not sure so how much a, to put.
4: It, it'll probably have, you know, a calculation on this according to the size. Since this is a sapling, I would say, you know, a minimal amount and just sprinkle it on the surface and then water it in.
14: Okay. All right. Okay. One other thing I wanted to ask you, um, I, my, my boxwoods are in bad shape i think they can't make another year they're over 20 years so i'm sure it's time to get rid of them but um, i wanted something to replace them other than boxwood and i was thinking of some kind of holly bushes that wouldn't get too large are there anything any hollies out there that aren't going to exceed say eight feet tall Do you know? Yeah,
4: I would probably look at it. It doesn't look like the classic holly. It won't have the red berries. It'll have dark berries. But a Mm -hmm. plant called ink, I-N-C-K, inkberry is a type of holly. It's pretty tough and durable. It can take a wetter soil, and it needs a little bit less care than some of the other hollies.
14: Okay, that sounds great. That's exactly what I'm looking for, then. Okay, thank you, sir. Get well soon. Sure, my pleasure.
3: Bye-bye. Thank you for the call, Donna. Next, we turn to Ron. What's your question for Mike Miller?
17: Hello, Ron. Hey. Hey, Mike. This is Ron. Uh, I have a um, farm up in Paris, Missouri. Last year, I cut down a bunch of thorny locust trees that was starting in the fields in the winter, and I poured the um, poison uh, um on, on there for brushy plants, and they came right back again this, this year. Uh, am I doing that at the wrong time, the, the roundup at, for brushy plants at the wrong time, or what, when would be the best time for me to do that?
4: Basically, what you want to do is you want to have the roundup for killing woody plants. It's actually poison ivy killer, and but it'll do woody plants. And when you make a cut, you want to paint it right onto that cut.
17: I did that. I did that last year, and I, but I did it in the winter, and they came right back. Am I doing it at the wrong time of the year? Yeah, I'll do it when they're a little bit more active. Okay, so do it when when the the leaves start coming out. All right. Exactly. That's what I was wondering because I cut down like seventy of them, and they all came back, and I had painted that stuff on those stalks, and I thought, well, something must be the wrong time of the year, or something. So that's probably what it was. It wasn't wasn't absorbing it or something.
4: Yeah, you have to you have to make sure that you make the cut at a 45 degree angle, and you you know you put the roundup right on the cut, not on the you know stem or trunk or anything.
17: On okay. the bark doesn't do anything. So yeah, I had put it right on the cuts that I cut them off with a wow. Cut them off with the cloppers, and they came right. Every one of them came right back, so I'm just, I had to cut them again. And I was just wondering if it's a better time of the year when they're active to put that on there right
4: because the absorption is going to be
17: a little bit more okay sir thank you sure
3: we appreciate the call ron now we turn to amy amy what is your question for mike miller on the garden hotline
7: i have two questions uh the first is uh when should i fertilize pine trees And then the second one is um, my son is preparing an area for a garden. And so um, how should he go about preparing the grassy area? Should he suffocate the grass for uh, four to six weeks and then prepare the soil with manure, adding manure? I'd like to hear your comments.
4: Okay. Uh, Let's see. As far as getting the this, this soil ready, is he opposed to using herbicides? No. Okay. So I would say as soon as you, he starts to see whatever's growing in that area, green up, go ahead and just you know put an herbicide on there. Then measure the area that he's going to actually have this garden space. Go to St. Louis Composting and get a topsoil compost mix. You want to get about uh, four inches over for the whole square footage and blend it in with the existing soil I wouldn't get overly aggressive with the size of the compost or the size of the bed space because it's going to be a little bit too much work you can always add to the size and then go from that standpoint and I forget what your first question was um
7: when do I fertilize pine trees pine trees you want
4: to do it as they're coming out as we're coming out of winter so and you want to make sure that the fertilizer has like a mirror acid type thing so it has uh, iron and sulfur and things like that mixed in with it. So don't just use regular type, let's say, agricultural fertilizer like triple 12 or something along that line.
7: Awesome. Thank you, Mike. And I hope you yeah. feel better. Yes.
4: Yeah, so, you know, And, I mean, you can go to your favorite garden center and they will have fertilizers for you know, acid-loving plants. So you can use anything that's for acid-loving plants because pretty much all the evergreens like an acidic soil.
7: Okay. Thank you so much.
4: Sure. Thank
3: thank you. Good question, Amy. Now let's turn to Mac. Your question for Mike Miller.
13: Hey, good morning, Mike. Um, We have uh, mature Bradford trees in our backyard, probably... Twenty years old or so. What What are your thoughts on doing trimming of those trees in light of the cicadas that are coming in April, May,
15: June? Second, or to
4: me, yeah, you know, the, cicadas, the Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't be overly concerned with the cicadas. I'm more concerned with the uh, Bradford pears and those type of flowering pear trees. It's a, a disease called a fire blight, which inoculates the vascular system of these flowering you know flowering trees and basically looks like they've been you know set on fire so the cicadas we can't you know it's I know we're all concerned about that but I wouldn't be overly concerned with you know that kind of circumstance okay.
13: all right I just I didn't know if it was best just maybe to wait nine months or so until that's finished or as opposed to opening the trees up now and making them more vulnerable?
4: Well, I, you know, I don't think that's, you know, a, a concern, because let's say there's this huge influx of cicadas, and they lay eggs. Now, those eggs are going to hatch, and they're going to spend, you know, it may take a couple years before they start heading downhill. So I'm not sure with this prediction that I saw that they were making that it was going to be disastrous, it's not just a one-type one, one type shot that the disaster is going to happen. It's going to continue on for a period of time. So I would be, you know, yes, thoughtful of it and everything else, but uh, go out and if you, if you see or hear a lot of cicadas, you know, go after them with an insecticide as opposed to, you know, worrying about other uh, what other aspects of it.
13: Okay. Thank you.
12: Appreciate it. You. Yep, My th- pleasure.
3: Thanks, Mac. We appreciate your call. And we still have a few minutes left to take more phone calls with Mike Miller, who is at home recovering from a broken arm. We will continue on the KMOX Garden Hotline in just a
2: moment. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX.
3: And Mike Miller is at home answering your questions on this Saturday morning. I'm Scott Jagow helping out. Let's continue with the phone calls. Mike, you are up next for Mike Miller.
15: Yeah, um, I've heard you speak about... Good morning, Mike. And uh, Good morning. Uh, as long as you can hold a drink in one hand, you should be all right.
6: <laughs>
15: and I'll crawl in and, and pretend you on the beach. But anyway... <laughs> I've heard you talk about malorganite being a natural fertilizer and so forth. Uh, being able to use it in flowers, I got a couple acres and I got flower gardens all over the place and grass. Heinz 57 variety of grass, but I was wondering if if this is a total fertilizer I can use in everything based uh, being kind of natural. And does it have a makeup of like 10, 10, 10, or does it even have anything like that?
4: It has a little bit nutrient level, but uh, it's, you know, it's an organic quality. I would say just go online and check out the nutrients, but it's pretty much you know usable on anything that can grow. It just doesn't, it's not going to create, uh, you know, let's say a huge impact or let's say any kind of major, major growth in a relatively short period of time. And just uh, I would check. If you've got specific type plants that need an acidic base fertilizer, always keep that in mind because it is a good fertilizer, but it is not the only thing that your soil, whatever you are having to be growing, may need.
15: Oh, it's not a one size fits all.
4: <laughs> not really. <laughs> I was
15: hoping, but anyway. All right. Well, appreciate it. And uh, good luck to you. Sure. And, well, thank uh, you. And- Thank you.
3: Bye now. Appreciate the call, Mike. Uh, Let's go now to Ruby. You are up next on CAMOX with Mike Miller.
4: Hi, Ruby.
16: Oh, hi, Mike. I didn't hear my name. I hope you're feeling better today. Uh, It's a beautiful day, and I have kind of a problem with golden bamboo. And I know you've talked about uh, bamboo spreading uh at some point in time so i don't have it but my neighbors two doors away planted it and i know it's getting out of hand it's getting into the easement and it's getting into my next door neighbor's yard and i'm wondering how i can prevent it from spreading over into their yard and my yard
4: well bamboo is a grass so Grass killers is going to be the best way, but it is going to be difficult to get rid of, to be honest with you, to, to prevent it from, you know, just keeping migrating. You just keep going and going and going and going. And so it's just going to, you know, be, you're going to have to tell the people that are growing it, you know, that it can cause problems for other people that don't necessarily want it in their landscape. I planted some of my parents' backyard. That I dug up from the botanical garden, Japanese garden, when I worked there, and it, they had a yard in Ellisville that was probably 120 feet, more, you know, wide, and consequently, it ran the whole length of that. My father hated it, my mother liked it, but finally, what they ended up doing is they had some people come in and dig some of it out, but they still, you know, sprigs were coming up, so they were, you know, going after it with an uh, an herbicide. Didn't you? My parents passed away. Whoever bought the house inherited the problem. But I drove by there uh, a couple weeks ago, and it looks like it's finally gone.
16: Well, this uh, bamboo—it's—it's about ten feet tall and very, very thick. Yes. Right. Is there any recourse that a person has to make them uh, contain it somehow?
4: Not really. I mean, there's nothing that's going to you know, work from that standpoint because uh, it's something, you know, you know what it's like. It has a woody quality. So any herbicide that's sprayed on it has to be sprayed on the actual foliage, not on the woody aspects of the stem, because the woody aspects of the stem do not absorb the herbicide. So it is just going to be. You know, ideally, it's going to take a circumstance where you have a landscape contractor come in and dig up the entire root system.
16: So, it can is it uh, time that uh, I could spray um, Roundup or something on it? Is it too early yeah, uh, for that? Just so
4: you get it on the foliage. You can't yes. just, you know, and if it's 10 feet high, you're only going to get it, you know, maybe three or four feet up. And beyond that, so it may not be enough to be effectively able to kill the canes.
3: All right, Ruby, thank you so much for your question. That is going to do it for this edition of the KMOX Garden Hotline. Mike, it's been a pleasure, and I hope you are feeling better. And uh, we'll look forward to you answering more gardening questions this spring.
4: Yes, well, thanks, Scott, and thanks to James. Both you guys have made this possible.
3: That's exactly right. James O'Sullivan, our producer. I'm Scott Jagal. Have a great Saturday. This episode is brought to you by
0: Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget.